If you haven't heard it 10,000 times, happy Father's Day for you dads. And uh, today's, a, you know, I saw a little post this morning. It was so funny. You know, restaurants are crowded for, for, for Mother's Day, but people want us all to grill at home for Father's Day. So I don't know if that's true in your own home, but I hope you're treating your father uh, well. If you know, uh, if you're in close proximity and able to honor your dad, I hope that you do that. And uh, today's another, another day that we remember how hard it is to do anything. It's hard to be a mom. Would moms agree? It's hard. It's, it's hard to be married. Would you married people agree? Don't do that too loud because that'll get you in trouble. It's, it's challenging to be single. It's challenging to be a dad. To be human is hard. And so what we're doing is this summer we are looking at people in the Bible who went through their circumstances and somehow ended up at the end of their life with a stronger, deeper, closer walk with God. Um, and we, we hit seasons of life. Today we're going to look at the life of Abraham. And every parent or dad, every person would realize that you do walk through seasons in life where you don't know what to do next. I clearly remember when my wife and I, when, when, when she had Jonah and I was given the responsibility to take this child and mom out of the hospital. I remember we got the car seat wrong. Like they checked your car seat at the hospital to see if you got it on. And we failed that test. I failed that test. And I'm like, they helped me correctly buck, you know, put in the car seat. And I realized, you're crazy. You're sending us home with this child. Like, do you have no, I can't even get the car seat right. How do you, and, and at the hospital, everything seemed like, oh, it's going to be okay. Because we press a button, people show up. But now, like, we're home with this baby. Like, how are we going to do this? Lord, help us. Well, we all go through seasons where we don't know what to do next. Have, has there been a time in your life where it feels like you don't know what to do and God seems silent? God doesn't seem to be speaking anything to you. You don't know what to do. Has there been a time where you thought you knew what God wanted you to do next, but you just weren't sure? A time where you felt like, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm on track. I'm not sure if I'm headed in the right direction. If so, you're not alone. There are seasons in life, and some seasons are filled with clarity. Others are filled, uh, filled with wonder and even doubt. And what we're doing is this summer, this series is about answering the question, how do we stay faithful to follow Jesus, right, in a culture that is in opposition to that pursuit? There are all sorts of wisdoms and counsel and advice that's against the way of Jesus. How are we going to live? And the verse, it's on the screen right now. It's, it's put on, on the, the series framework. It's from 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm. In the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. That was the first week of our series. And we talked about five things that are going to help build a framework and a foundation for us to follow Jesus well. We have to be alert. We have to know what's going on. We can't be asleep. Uh, we need courage and strength to follow Jesus, but yet not aggressive. We're to do everything in love. Last week, we kind of highlighted one person's life. It was a life of Noah. What do we get from Noah? Noah was righteous. Noah was blameless. Noah walked faithfully with God. And so we saw in his life how he was steadfast and resilient, but yet not perfect. We, we saw that Noah, even though God used him, he, he did what God said. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to do what is right. 
God said he's going to bring his rightful judgment on the earth because it was wicked, but he was going to rescue and save. So Noah does what is right. He honors God by building a boat when a boat doesn't make sense. When God tells us what to do and the culture says, are you crazy? We go with God. And in the end, God rescues him, but he's not perfect because later after the boat and after God's judgment, Noah ends up having a field and and a vineyard and grapes, and he ends up getting drunk, and it leads to a weird family situation. But at the end of his life, he lives many years after that. His life is framed by faith, faith and faithfulness, even in his moments of weakness. So we learned last week that you and I can live faithful and end our lives well. I don't know where you come from when it comes to following Jesus or faith or God or the Bible. Uh, We come from different places. Uh, Here's the good news. Everyone we're going to look at this summer starts in their unique spot. And you may feel far from God right now. You may feel like, I don't even know if church is for me because of what I've done or where I've been or what I'm in right now. Here's the good news. God meets us where we're at. He meets us right where we're at. And Noah is in an evil environment, but God is with them. And then we're going to look at the life of Abram because he starts in a different spot. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 1 and following says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth, they're going to be blessed through you. Um, Abram, as we find in the Bible. Now, if I get confusing, it's because Abram becomes Abraham and his wife Sarai becomes Sarah. God, when he does this unique work in their lives, changes their name to mark the good thing that he had done. So if I go back and forth, Abram, Abraham, I apologize, but it's the same people. But he's 75 years old and he's following his family. If you read Genesis 11, you see the lineage of of who Abram's family line is, is from. But here's the interesting line. When we're introduced to this couple, and they both are an example to us of faith, when we're introduced to the couple, we see this interesting line in Genesis 11. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. The first thing you get about Abram's wife is that she cannot have children. Now for for us, we recognize that there are people in this room, that is their spot. I was talking with a, a, just a couple on the phone a couple days ago that are part of our community, and that is their situation right now. They cannot have a child. But we don't have the cultural taboo like they did in, in their day. This is an indicator to us. In their day, in the day of Abram, uh, and in their community, if you, didn't, if you weren't able to conceive, it was a sign uh, not of blessing, but possibly of something wrong where, where God's judging you. It was seen uh, having a family as your legacy. Family was everything. And the inability to conceive was seen as a problem. And here's why this matters. And it's not a statement against her. It's a statement about the goodness of God. God knows that in their culture, Ab- Abram and Sarai are not seen as the perfect example of what could be a beautiful future just because their inability to have children. But yet God speaks a word to them that goes against their current situation. You, did you listen to what we just read? Uh, you're you're going to be the father uh, of a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great nation. 
And, and although the stigma of something's wrong with you is so thick right now, no, no, you're going to be seen as the blessed family. And, and I'm going to do it. And, and this, this is huge to us because God speaks where we're at. And if you feel far from God and you feel like God can't do anything because of this or that or the other, or that you'll never be close, hear what's going on. God appears, appears in a way that makes sense to Abram, just like he appears to us. And, and, the, the, and the Lord calls Abram to do what? This is really interesting. Just go. Everything was tied to family. You don't leave your family. In some cultures today, in Hispanic families and Asian families and some other communities and African communities, you don't, just, you don't just leave. Your family matters. Even if you're an adult, you talk to grandma and grandpa if they're living. You talk to mom and dad if they're living. You talk to your aunts and your uncles. Your decisions are connected to your family. We don't, in America, we don't see that. We just do whatever we want. But the culture of the Bible is clo- close to those cultures that really lean in on family legacy. And so what God says to Abram is pretty huge. I want you to leave your family and the priority of your family, and I want you to follow me to the place that I'm going to show you. In our church, we, we, could, we could put it this way. What does Jesus call his disciples to do? Jesus, when he found Peter and Andrew and James and John and the others, they're kind of like Abram and Sarah, and they're they're not seen as the superstars. They're normal, ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, regular people. We see Abram as a father of the faith and a hero. But you've got to know that in his day, he's just an ordinary nobody until God meets him. And Jesus says to every one of these disciples this beautiful phrase, follow me. By the way, the storyline of the Bible in a sense doesn't change. What God was doing in Abram Jesus is going to do in his disciples in the Bible and his disciples today. The pattern of God is to appear. He comes to us in ways that make sense. He comes in the pages of scripture. He speaks and he, he says and invites to us, come, follow me. And, and the good thing is Abram follows the direction of God. But you got to remember what's in the back of his mind. God is saying, I'm going to make you in a great nation. I'm going to bless you. God promises the impossible. This is the life of faith. What we're looking at is people in the Bible to see how can I live steadfast in following Jesus in a culture that's in opposition. It's by remembering who we're following. The God of the universe, the God who made everything that we see, invites us, creation, men and women, young and old, that that he has created in his very image. His invitation is to follow his direction. Abram does that, but it seems impossible. Just like when you start following Jesus, it seems impossible for you to go into a different direction, to have different desires, to have different patterns, to have a different future. Whenever anyone comes to beginning following Jesus, the past is so loud and so big and so vivid, it seems like nothing will change. But God's word to us is, follow me, and guess what? I will keep my promise. When you go my way, I can do the transforming work. I will bless, and here, the nations. I will bless your future. I will bless your descendants. I will bless the people around you just because I'm a God of promise. But know this. We're not going to look at all of Abram's life. It's too long for one Sunday. But what we do see is immediately after this in chapter 13, we recognize how frail our faith can be. Abram hears a voice. He walks to the land that God will show him. But then there's a famine. 
and he ends up going to Egypt to get food, and the culture of Egypt and the gods of Egypt are very different, and so Abram is afraid. So he says to the people when he's introducing his family that, the, that Sarah is his sister, even though it's kind of like a, a, a distant relative, but he says that his wife is his sister so that he's not going to disrupt the people around him and get in trouble. He's just trying to survive. And in that, in a twist of the story, she's so beautiful, Sarah, that, uh, that she's brought into Pharaoh's potential harem of wives. And now he can't change the story because he knows he's going to get killed. But by a beautiful pattern, God makes it clear that, uh, who she is. And, and Sarah and Abram are rescued. But very quickly, we get God speaks to Abram and tells him, follow me. And very quickly, we realize that Abram's following is imperfect which is good news for the rest of us, isn't it? Our following of Jesus, especially at the beginning, it's going to be filled with ups and downs. And so Abram shouldn't have done that, but he did, but God even rescued him through that. And then afterwards, uh, his only close almost son is a lot. He's actually his nephew, but in their culture, you would treat him because he's older like a son. And in chapter 14, Lot is raided. The town where he's living is raided, and he's taken away as a captive and everything all of his possessions are taken, and so Abram is a responsible, kind of like dad-like figure, uncle, but dad-like figure. He chases after the enemies, and he, he wins the battle and brings them back. It's funny. He starts to follow God. He immediately makes mistakes, but God rescues him. He follows God, and his life is immediately thrown into turmoil. Does that sound like following Jesus? I mean, we think wrongly that a walk with God is going to be filled with, you know, uh, peaks followed by peaks followed by peaks. It doesn't mean that things are always going to work out according to plan. Following God does not mean that your life's going to be filled with a carefully free existence. There are going to be troubles. We are going to make mistakes. But you can be a person of faith. And that's what we see in Abram. All right, God's with him through it all because if you keep reading chapter 15, turn there with me, Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. Let's, let's, let's look at his life and see where he was resilient. That was just all background and setup. After this, chapter 15, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so will your offspring be. This is so exciting. Verse 6, Abram believed and it was credited to him as, as righteousness. It's interesting. You have in Noah, righteous, uh, Noah does what is right and he's righteous. And you have in Abram, Abram hears God's word and he trusts him. And it's credited to him as righteousness. And so we want resilient faith, and that involves a living, living right. So, so what does it mean to be righteous? Is it about doing what's right, or is it about trusting God, who is always right, and leaning and following him? And the answer is, it's not either or, it's both. 
To be righteous, to follow Jesus is to trust him as our only hope of being in right relationship with God. How do I become a child of God? It's by faith in Jesus. Just like Abram had his, how is he going to be the father of nations? He doesn't even have a kid. Impossible. Just like it's impossible to, for us to have life with God apart from Jesus. But we trust him. And so just like Abram believes, God, what you said is true. I'm going to follow you. So in the same way, you and I, we become a part of the family of God. But we got to remember righteousness in Noah. Noah does what is right. So because we've been made right with God, we are the people who do what's right. And you get in trouble if you only have one of those definitions as righteous. We are the people who are in God's family so we can do what's right. So God's with him, but there's a gap. And I hope we see this already. First, he promises, follow me, go where I say, and I'm going to make you a nation. But he has no kids. And now, Abram points it out. God, great, thank you for the blessing and the nations. Sounds cool. But what about this gap? He's getting older. Now he's in his 80s. He was 75. Now he's in his 80s. My heir is going to be like a servant of mine. I don't have anybody. God, how are you going to fulfill this promise? And this is a reminder we need steadfast fast faith. We need resilient faith because in our lives, there will always be a gap between what God says and when he fulfills it. There are going to be gaps. So God, God has spoken to us through his word about things that he has created us to be. But you say you're going to follow Jesus and yet you live like you don't and there's a gap. You say today, I'm going to honor you and then tomorrow you find yourself failing. There's a gap. Uh, there are things that God has spoken about you. You're a child of God. You don't feel like a child of God. You feel like an enemy of God. There's a gap. What do we do with these, with these gaps? Um, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children because she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I could build a family line through her. And Abram agreed to what what Sarah, Sarah said. And so Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar. And she could see. So, so you got 10 years going by. And, and this promise is going nowhere. There's a gap. Uh, you're going to have a child, Abram. But clearly, Sarah is saying, it can't be through me. Because... I still can't have any children. But God did promise you. And, and sometimes we find ourselves in, in that spot. Here's one thought, one principle you get from Abram and from so many of these early foundational fathers and sisters of the faith. Write this down. Resilient faith requires patience. We can and should learn from Abram and Sarai. They didn't see the promise coming to pass. And so they took practical steps to make it happen. Now, this seems strange to us, but in their culture, to have your family line extended through a surrogate uh, parent, through a surrogate woman, wasn't seen as odd. It was a way to extend your family line. And it's very easy to quickly judge and say like, man, I would never do that. Well, hopefully you wouldn't add someone to your family relationship. That would be quite illegal here in the U.S. I hope you, hope you realize that. But we'd state the obvious. We, we can sometimes quickly come to judge these people based on what we don't know. Here's what we do know, and here's what the Bible is very clear about, uh, that God was going to extend the blessing 
through a child that comes from Abram and Sarai. Now, for whatever reason, they don't get it right. Just because God's called you to something doesn't mean we're always going to get the timing right. We need to remember that. It doesn't mean we're always going to get the details right. We need to remember that. Resilient faith factors in the fact that I need to grow in patience to lean on God, to listen, to ask, to seek, to knock, because the details do matter, but sometimes we could find ourselves trying to work God's plan in our own method and way. And, and here's the great thing about God. God could shut their, their book and shut their story and start over and say, failure, failure, failure. Here's the good news. He doesn't. What you find is God is speaking to Abram and Sarai all the way through. He's working with them just like he's working with you, just like he's working with me. I think in my own life, I'll give a very, very, very short example. Uh, before uh, starting a church here, most of my time was spent gathering churches and pastors together and doing outreaches, and usually larger citywide. Uh, how many of you were at our Good News Today, one of our Good News Today outreaches that we had done here in Hillsborough? Some of you were. And so that's a newer for our church, but I've been doing that for 20 plus years, almost 25 years. And so we did a really fruitful one in in state of Washington. This is some years ago and had an opportunity through some connections to do one in Oklahoma City. And part of our culture is what we call scaling up. How many know that phrase? You, You can make a really good cookie. You should have a cookie empire. We need to scale that thing up. You know, take that cookie and, and multiply it, make it bigger and bigger. So in my mindset, like we did a really good one here in a small town. Now we need to take on Oklahoma City, which is much bigger, much more complex. And so we pushed through and pushed through because this is something that God clearly called me to do. And we worked on it for more than a year. But I was so intent on making it happen, I was missing some of the signposts where I think, looking back, God was saying, time out, <laughs> slow down. Time out, <laughs> slow down. Hey, Jose, they're not ready for this. Hey, Jose, you're not going in the right direction. And I, honest to goodness, looking back, realized I wasn't even looking for him to navigate the fine details. I knew the vision. I'm going to get the vision done. And we were like three weeks before this outreach was about to happen, and I got the aha moment. Oh, my gosh, this is about to collapse. It was about to collapse. I realized the amount of funds that need to be raised in the next three weeks all of the markers that I've been looking at were now at a point of like, oh my goodness, Lord. And I literally thought it was the end. I, I thought everything that I've done up to this, it's over. Everything I feel like God's called me to do, it's over. And it's just not going to happen. And, and I remember sitting on the couch in our house. We were living in Charlotte at that time thinking, thank you, Lord. Now I don't know what to do. And what I, have, I have like grace when I see Abram and Sarah and Hagar and all that because I realize that I have found myself in a spot where I say, like, Lord, I know that you're speaking to me. I know you're moving me in your direction, but certainly I got the details wrong. Here's the great thing about God. He keeps speaking. And obviously it wasn't the end for me, and God had so much more in store. But there are moments where we need to hear his voice again. Genesis 17. Let's just pick it up. Because they have a child, Ishmael. But chapter 17, God keeps speaking. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make a covenant between me and you. And, and, and you will greatly increase your numbers. I love this. Abram fell face down. 
He recognizes God's presence. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I'm going to give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is so good. If you've noticed the trail, because we've read a lot, go, I'm going to show you a land. Okay, he, he does that. Hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, but how he's going to do that? Abram and Sarah, I don't know. But now he takes them to this land, and now God's a little more specific. Here's the beautiful thing about God. You keep following him, and over time you're going to watch God's pattern is faithfulness. God's pattern is faithfulness. You hang in there. You ask, you seek, you knock. You keep pressing in. You don't give up when you don't know. When there's a gap between what God has said and what God completes, sometimes we're just tempted to give up. But at the right time, God comes to him and says, all of this land, the land I told you to go and I'm going to show you, all of it is going to be given to your descendants. So God becomes more clear. Jumping down a few verses, let's hear the word to, to Sarai. God also said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you'll no longer call her Sarah, you'll name her Sarah. And I will bless her, and I'll surely give you a son, hear this, by her. I will bless her, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham, again, he, he falls face down. He laughed. He said, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Like, God, I'm old, and just, guys, just don't do this. She's old. Just don't do that, man. That's just not going to go well with you. But that's what he says. And Abram said to God, if only Ishmael, my other son from Hagar, uh, might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear a son, and you're going to call him Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I'll surely bless him. I'll make him fruitful, greatly increase his numbers. He'll be the father of 12 rulers. I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, who Sarah will bear to you, and then catch this phrase, by this time Next year, then jump ahead, Genesis 21. Let's see God's word fulfilled. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and, and as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. What can we learn from this exchange? We, we know that resilient faith requires patience. Uh, there's a 25-year gap. That's what I want us to see. God speaks to him and says, go. And it's 25 years, 75 to 100, before he actually sees the fulfillment. And the fulfillment was, it's a son from Abraham and Sarah, not any other way. It was cloudy at first. They didn't understand all the details. But at the right time, God says, one year from now, you will have this child. 
God always keeps his promises. What do we get from this? Write this down. Resilient faith keeps trusting even when God's promises seem delayed. I want to remind you, my friends, for him, it was, for them, it was 25 years awaiting the fulfillment of the promise. And what do we see about God? God is faithful to speak and guide and comfort and love and care and give detail when it's needed. And the right response to a faithful God is to trust him even when it seems delayed. Look, just because you don't see it doesn't mean God isn't working. Just because it's not the way you thought it was going to come out doesn't mean that God isn't working. And just because the details are slipping your mind, the details, the very numbers of hairs on your head are even counted. He knows the tears that we cry. Nothing escapes God's gaze. Isn't that good? So God is faithful. And the right response, a resilient faith says, I'm going to keep trusting. And I think this is the, of all the terrible things that COVID has done in our world over the last, call it year and a half now. I think one of the beautiful things is for us who follow Jesus, it's given us the opportunity to reevaluate everything, hasn't it? Because the whole world has been disrupted, hopefully you're taking these very harsh circumstances. Harsh circumstances brought Abram and Sarai into Egypt. They didn't want to go there, but they ended up going off course there. And Abraham finds himself doing something he shouldn't have done while he was there. Hopefully this season has highlighted areas where we've gone off course, areas where we haven't leaned in, a lack of prayer life, a, a lack of devotion to scripture, a lack of a desire to be in Jesus fellowship. Hopefully it's just exposed some things, not to give us a guilt trip, friends, but rather to show us the better way. God is faithful and he's wanting to bring us. So in seasons like this, I think there are at least two temptations. One is we see in Abram and Sarah that there's a temptation to make it happen our own way. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but know this, God is faithful, and if you allow him, he will guide you. And if it's good, he will confirm it. If it's off, he will guide you to the better way. But the second temptation is simply to give up. They didn't see their promise, and Abraham laughs. God, you said you were going to make me the father of nations, but I'm like almost 100, and my wife's 90. It's, it's never going to happen. But here, here's some good news. God will keep his promise in his timing and that's why we look at Abraham and Sarah as a father and a mother of our faith. Because even in their wandering, they seem to get re-centered at God's word. And in the end, God does keep his promise and this family line continues. And really the family line wasn't about a blessing and inheritance for Abraham. It was about the coming of Jesus. What Abraham couldn't even get clued into was through this family line God himself was going to step in and rescue his world. Okay, so let's get us to us for the last couple of minutes before we respond in worship and take communion. How do we lean in on the promises of God? Abraham is given a promise. Well, what do we think about God's promises? What about God is, what God has said to you? What about all these Bible promises that you read? How do they apply to you? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, it to me is super helpful. We'll read from verse 20 of chapter 1. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are, and then in quotes, 
Yes, in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us, by us, to the glory of God. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I love how these words, here's sometimes when we read the Bible, we think the old is old and gone, and the new is the only important thing. And what you find when you read the Bible is that a lot, now some of the specific instructions given to the nation of Israel are no longer valid, of course, but most of what's happening in what we call the New Testament is what was happening here in light of the center, in light of Jesus. And so Paul can write to the church and say, all of these promises God has given to his people, they're yes. They're yes because of Jesus, the Messiah. So so how do we grow in a resilient faith? I think Paul, in light of all that went on in Abraham and everyone else, gives us some helpful thoughts. Now it is God who makes us, uh, both us and you, stand firm in Christ. Is Abraham a hero of the faith because he was strong or because God was great? I think you see clearly it is God who kept Abraham and Sarah to the point of his blessing. Now, Abraham and Sarah are the right response. You see, when God is calling, we follow. When God is speaking, we listen. When God calls us to trust him, we trust him. But God does the heavy lifting. And when it comes to the promises of God in your life, it is God who will hold you. You see, if we're relying on our own strength, we're going to be sorely disappointed. Now, how do I know it's God who who does it? Notice, he anointed us. Do you know God has anointed you. You say, well, what's anointed? That sounds really churchy. Anointed, all throughout the Bible, just means set apart for God's usefulness. So this is just a table, but this is going to be a table where worship was going to happen in the temple or the tabernacle. It was anointed. It was set apart for special use. It was, this, is, this was going to be used in the presence of God, so it's not ordinary. It, what's special is that it's going to be used for God's presence. And you know what could be said of you if you're a follower of Jesus? He has anointed you. You've been set apart for whatever God wants to do in the world. Why? Just because God is good. And he loves us this much that he calls us to follow Jesus. And he's anointed us. So whatever God wants to do, friend, to bless the world that we're living in right now, what is the good thing that God wants to do where we live, where you work? in your sphere of influence. Whatever God wants to do, he's set you apart. And he's called you like Abraham and Sarah and said, I'm going to bless your neighborhood, your business, your family line, and I want to do it through you. Do you trust me? (laughs) Do you believe that God wants to work through you? So he's anointed us, and then he set his seal of ownership on us. What is that all about? The implication is if God set you apart for his use like the table is used in worship, what made it special was when God's presence came physically into the space and it made it God's space. And you know what the Bible says? This is about you. It's not about a table in a temple in Israel. It's about you. You have been set apart by God. You are useful and you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Whatever needs to happen in God's world, he can do through you. 
which is crazy. And, and this is why we look at Abram as a, as a father of the faith, because he actually, you know what he did? He trusted that God does impossible things. And so I'm speaking to you, my friends. You know what? I have no idea. Coming out of COVID, I have no idea where our world is headed. But here's what I do know for certain. He has called you, and he's called me, and he's called us to be a part of the big thing that he is doing, if we will believe it. Do you believe that emerging out of COVID world, that there can be greater things going on in the kingdom of God, more people following Jesus, an expansion of God's work in the world? Do you believe it? Or is it like, no, masks and, and, and hand sanitizer, that's just, that's just life. I'm sorry. It's all going downhill. But Abram believes, and it's credited to him, that whatever God wants to do, I'm all in. I trust you. And so he sets his seal of ownership on us. And in the final phrase, he, he, he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. And my friends, because you have been called by God to follow Jesus, you're now a child of God. And because you're a child of God, a son or a daughter, you've been given the Holy Spirit. God's presence dwells with you wherever you go. And because God's presence dwells with you, the impossible is now possible. And so with that, we need to hold on to Jesus. My friend, in light of whatever confusion you're facing, I think the right response today is hold on to Jesus. Hold on to him. Press in. Despite the many questions that you're facing about your life and your future, and what if and what if and I don't know, Hold on to Jesus no matter how hard life is right now. And after months and months and months of bad news, we're all just tired. Can we agree? We're just tired. And if you have kids, it just compounds the fatigue. We're tired because we, we're, we're never going to get out. No matter how life is treating you, hold on to Jesus. And here's why. Because he's already holding on to you. This is the word. God is holding on to Abram and Sarai. He's holding them through, through their seasons of difficulty and challenge and disobedience or confusion. And he brings about his promise. And so the same can be said for every follower of Jesus. Because Jesus is holding on to you, don't let go of him. And friend, it is possible to let go, right? We've all been there where we feel like I'm not going to press in, but the invitation for us is to hold and follow Jesus no matter what. I'm going to invite uh, Jared and McKenna to come. We want to respond in, in worship, and hopefully this morning has stirred you to something. Where, where do you need to hold on? Where do you need to hold on? Why do you need to hold on? What is it that's in your world that requires that you hold on and trust that Jesus is actually good and he's, he's good to you even though your circumstances don't seem good. That's biblical faith. It's we grow in patience and, and we wait and we trust Jesus no matter what we see around us. And if God's stirring you uh, a couple of things in response, we're gonna sing songs that are fitting with this and we're gonna worship and respond to God. We're gonna take communion. If you're at home, I invite you to grab the bread and the cup. We'll take this in a few moments. And uh, we wanna invite you to pray publicly with a friend in our church. We have a prayer team. And if you're here in the building, 
It's over to the right. You just see it. And what we want to do is grow in increasing care for one another by responding. No matter what's going on in your world, it could be really small or seemingly small to you. But if it matters to you, can I just tell you, it matters to God. So we want to grow in our rhythms of saying when we come to God's house and worship with God together, that we're honest. And so if you need prayer for anything, what you feel is small or huge, uh, during the songs, feel free. You can just slip over and someone from our prayer team will pray for you. If you want to wait till after the gathering, if you're like, I'm just going to wait for everyone to go, our team will be here as well. We want to grow in standing together as people of faith and following Jesus together in ways that make sense. All right, why don't you stand on your feet if you're in the room. If you're at home and you want to connect with someone by prayer, all you need to do is click the button and uh, one of our team is on there online and they would be happy uh, to chat with you. And if you want to exchange phone numbers and jump on the phone and have prayer right, that, uh, right there, that's totally fine. But uh, we just want to press in, okay? We don't want to just hear words and then leave unchanged. So, Father, we thank you that you came and you spoke to your servant, Abraham and Sarah. And we, we thank you that you have been kind enough to give us their life uh, to remind us how sometimes our faith is just wayward. And Lord, today we choose to follow you, Jesus. You're the way and the truth and the life. And so God, even on our stumbling, we know that you're holding on to us. So Lord, as a right response, we want to hold on to you and your goodness and your promise and respond with hearts and mouths that are filled with worship and praise. Lord, for all my friends here and watching that are in real turmoil, thank you just like you spoke to this couple, that you really do speak by the Spirit to us in ways that make sense. So Holy Spirit of God, thank you that your speaking voice is still being heard here in the space, in this building, and online. Lord, your servants were here, and we're listening, Lord. Help us as we respond and listen and worship and praise. in my heart God let it overflow let it overflow stir a passion in my heart God let it overflow let it overflow breathe on
Let it overflow. It's the cry of her heart. Stir a passion in my heart. So stir prayers and uh, I hope that today that this um, experience has, has brought you to a deeper desire to even want to follow Jesus uh, Abraham and Sarah's life isn't perfect but it ought to stir in us a heart for God because because God was faithful to take this ordinary couple and do beyond what they could ever imagine and just think about what Jesus wants to do in and through us we have no idea but he's calling us close. And so Jesus gives us the bread and the cup. Why don't you, if you're at home, grab yours. If, if you're here and you're following Jesus, then just grab up the bread side as a reminder that Jesus, Jesus is everything. Jesus is the, the bread of life. Everything we need is in him. And so uh, this morning, if you're actually following him, he's, he's set you apart. He's sealed you. He's filled you with the spirit. And now, by faith, what we're going to do is we're going to remember, Jesus Christ, you live in me. Now, God, everything you want to do in my life, everything you want to do through my life, like Abraham and Sarah, I, I want what you want. That's the invitation. So, Jesus, we want you, and we want to trust you more and more, and we want to be about your work in your world. So, Lord, we take today, and we eat, and we remember remember you. Fill us again, Holy Spirit of God. Fill us again, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's, uh, let's eat by faith. This is his body broken for us. Do this in remembrance of me, said Jesus. In the same way, he gave his close disciples the cup, and he said, man, you have no idea what's about to happen. This cup is a new agreement, and it's in my blood blood of Jesus washes away every sin. This morning, I just wonder if you would feel the forgiveness of God. We see Noah miss the mark. We see Abraham miss the mark. And so you know what? We too, we've missed the mark. But we come back to the table because the new agreement isn't based on performance. It's based on faith. Lord, this week, you know what I've done, and yet you love me. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Uh, will, will you and I, can we just feel the forgiveness of God and experience His loving grace because we've been sealed and set apart and given the Holy Spirit? Uh, we can live as forgiven people and, and go out and do God's work no matter what our story is. So Jesus, thank you that you loved us this way while we were still sinning. Jesus, you died and rose again to save us. We remember what it cost you to set us free. And now, Lord, set us free, we pray to be your children and to be useful in your family. Pray in Jesus' name. If you believe that, drink with me.